Well, good morning. If you're joining us online today, whatever venue that might be, whether it's Facebook Live or our website or Vimeo or later in the week, we just want to tell you or wish you uh, just a wonderful week, and we're glad you joined us this morning. We dream of you on city streets, breathing again on our bones. We dream of you at kitchen sinks, your glory filling our home. Let's sing that again. We dream of you. We dream of you on city streets, breathing again on our bones. We dream of you at kitchen sinks, your glory This morning we have a really wonderful um, gift and welcoming our friends Rob and Kelly Castens all the way from Chicago. 
And uh, they used to be all the way from Baltimore. Before that, they were all the way from Florida. And then another time, they might have been coming home from Kenya. You can never tell where they were. But they have been building up the Church of God throughout the world for many, many years, uh, having been on staff with some of the very large churches in the world, and also um, working with churches through intentional churches and helping churches find the gold in their midst to bring it to the world that surrounds them. And the beautiful thing is, you know, they, they want to come to little old Bethlehem, you know, uh, in the middle of southern Michigan. And we feel grateful to have our friends with us, to encourage us, to teach us about the kingdom of God. They've been leading a very small focus group from Crossroads of new people and old people. And, uh, and I mean Scott and I. And so... So there were 14 of us in the room that have different um, uh, time with Crossroads and also different experiences in, um, in what they do in the world and also in ministry to be a focus group that then we could bring to all of you some great gifts in this next season. And so look out because good things are coming your way. And, uh, and so we're super grateful for this, you know, this group of folks that gathered together. And we want to thank our teachers. Can we thank our teachers? You don't know what they taught you yet, but you're going to be, you're going to be hearing it for the next several months. So come on, let's give them a crossroads welcome. Say hello to Rob, Pastors Rob and Kelly Castens. And so if you remember, if you didn't get to hear Kelly in January, she preached here in January. Anybody remember how awesome that was? Yes. And now you get her other half, and, yeah. uh, and we just, we are excited and anticipating God's spirit in you, Rob. Excited to be here. Amen. Thank you. Well, you definitely heard from the better half in, uh, in January, but uh, I'm thrilled to be with you today and looking forward to our time together. Um, this place and the people of Crossroads just really feel like home to us and uh, just really have caught up, gotten caught up in your worship, uh, which is just tremendous, uh, and just watching the spirit work in your leaders um, has just been such a gift. Uh, Claire and Scott and Kelly and I have uh, shared life together and journeyed together, I think, 13 years now. Um, and just through some great times, shared lots of laughter uh, and some hard times uh, where <laughs> uh, I've had some really weird health things in the last four years, five years, and uh, they have, uh, you know, prayed for my life, uh, interceded really um, at the point of death. And so I'm grateful for, for those conversations and just sharing life together um, and Sean and Kathleen have been such gracious and life-giving hosts uh, for us and uh, just have had great conversations and sharing life with them during our visits to Marshall. And, and even last night, we, uh, all six of us were together and uh, had such deep, meaningful conversation, uh, tears uh, poured, and laughter uh, so so much that uh, I mean it, it was all the feels you know and 
so much like my heart was ready to burst uh, from it all. And uh, it's such a gift. We probably stayed up a little too late for all of us, but uh, especially at our ages. But, <clears throat> but here we are, excited about today. So thank you for the gift that you are to us. Thank you for the gift that you are to us. So I want to tell you a story today. It's a powerful story. It's an amazing story. And if you didn't know some of it already, you, you hardly would believe it. It's that kind of story. It's the, it's the story of a church established by Jesus to give us a place to belong and to live out the way of Jesus together. That's an amazing story. It's a story of people who were impassioned by the love of God and the invitation of Jesus and the desire to bring God's kingdom to earth where love and freedom and justice and mercy prevail. And in spite of the fact that sometimes their understanding through the years of how to live it off, live it out, was off kilter, for centuries people have given their very lives to keep the church alive. So contrary to what cynics may think or how we may feel at any given time, Christ's church, the Big C Church, is very much alive and well. And by, and by extension... By extension, friends, Crossroads Church is also alive and well. And I know this firsthand because as Claire shared, I, I know your senior leaders and have spent time with a group of uh, Crossroads leaders, some newer, some here a longer time, uh, including some younger leaders that are emerging, and uh, the future is bright and Crossroads Church is alive and well. Uh, a song we're going to sing later has a line that says, I see a generation rising. And uh, that's, that's the sense I have for Crossroads, what's ahead for us as a church. God's dream since the fall, friends, has been to restore relationships broken by sin. And that flame burned brightly through his covenant with Abraham and throughout the Old Testament as God pursued his unfaithful people. But then in God's perfect timing, God's promise became flesh as he sends Jesus to planet earth. Jesus handpicks the twelve who live with him and follow him. They watch him live, they watch him die, they watch him rise again. And then the twelve becomes 120 people who come together on Pentecost and God shows up in an amazing way. God sends his spirit like a flame on their heads and God's promise igniting in their hearts and Peter, one of the twelve, preaches the church's first sermon, and 3,000 are baptized that day, and Christ's church is born. In 38 AD, a young man named Stephen is stoned to death, the first time someone loses their life because of Jesus. These early believers willingly faced death, and as persecution increased, the young church scatters in every direction, taking the good news with them. And God always finds a way to take what is meant for evil and to use it for good. A man named Paul encounters Christ on the road one day and then takes the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world, spreading the flame and leaving churches in his wake as he traveled. 
In 100 AD, John writes three letters to address heresy that was rising up in the church. And he clarifies the incarnation, that Jesus came to earth in human form. And he clarifies the crucifixion, that he suffered and died for our sins. And he clarifies the resurrection, that Jesus was raised on the third day. And we can thank men like John. We can thank men and celebrate men like John for preserving the truth so that the flame is kept alive for us. In 150 AD, under God's supervision, inspired writings and eyewitness accounts of Jesus were collected and put together in what became known as the canon, the Bible that we hold in our hands today, 150 AD. The enemy hears this young church knocking on the gates of hell, but Satan knows it is vulnerable and he launches tremendous attacks externally and internally. From 250 to 261 AD, we experience what was known as the decade of horror. We think we've lived hard, right? The decade of horror when thousands who followed Jesus were tortured and murdered. The church now had three new classifications of Christ followers. There were the martyrs, those who gave their lives for the cause of Christ, and there were hundreds and thousands of them. There were the lapsed, Those who under pressure denied the one who died for them, but it tormented so many of them that they would later recant and repent. There were the confessors who weren't killed, but you could tell them by their marks of suffering, arms and legs cut off, tongues cut out, eyes gouged out. But they said, come what may, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And friends, there are still Christian martyrs today. Did you know that? More Christians have been killed in the last 100 years than in the previous 1,900 years. And there are confessors today who suffer for Jesus. In fact, all who live for Jesus, Jesus promised, would experience difficulty and suffering. Other external threats attack the very foundations of the faith. So God raised up apologists to defend it. People like Justin Martyr and Tertullian and others held on to the faith in a difficult time, keeping the flame alive so that you and I would have it today. I read recently that by AD 310, there were over 5 million Christians. Even though throughout that time you could be killed for admitting or anyone knowing that you were a Christ follower. Then in 313 AD, a major change for the church Constantine, the Roman emperor, becomes a Christian and by 380 AD declares that Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire. Such a drastic change from just years before when you would be killed for uttering the name of Jesus. And now it's the state religion of the Roman Empire. And there's always uh, an unhealthy outpouring uh, in the church and in surrounding culture when There's a a marriage between uh, political uh, realm and and spiritual realm. Something unhealthy begins to happen. Creeds, though, that uh, emerged during this window, like the Apostles' Creed, developed to clarify core beliefs, to make sure that we held on to the most basic, central creeds about Christ. In fact, the simplest one is simply, Christ is Lord. And what a heretical statement that was in in the era before Constantine to say those words because Caesar was Lord, 
and, it, and you would be killed for making the other statement, Christ is Lord. And creeds kept expanding only to confront heresies that were arising in the, this young church and to protect core beliefs. And in the midst of heretical uh, questions and, and comments, uh, church councils like the Council of Nicaea helped clarify biblical doctrine, and they kept the flame alive for us. When, when Gnosticism arose, God raised up apostolic fathers to maintain what the first apostles had heard Jesus say. People like Clement and Ignatius and Polycarp uh, stood firm so that the flame would endure. In the early Middle Ages, it's a long period from 590 to 1517, it, it sees the church begin to slide a bit. Uh, slide a bit from scripture and slide a bit from their first love of Jesus Christ. In 590 AD, Gregory, a pastor in Rome, becomes the first pope as the church grew strong in wealth and political clout and the Roman Catholic Church emerged. And words not found in scripture were introduced to the church, like purgatory and mass and the idea that priests dispense grace. Um, in many ways, the Middle Ages became the Dark Ages for the church. People sold miraculous holy relics, the most famous of which were the bones of Peter. Supposedly, if all the bones sold that were claimed to be from Peter and they were reassembled, he would be six stories tall. Uh, indulgences were also sold, selling forgiveness of sins. Um, I've actually been to funerals, even, even recently, uh, where you could buy indulgences to cover uh, the departed sins. A great departure from Scripture's teaching about grace. When over time the Bible itself gets lost, and the people rely on priests for access to God, and, and in these dark times, the flame did grow dim. 1100 to 1300 brought some of the darkest moments for Christianity. Eight crusades. They were poorly managed and most abandoned before reaching their destination. Embarrassed that the Muslims had taken control of the Holy Land, Pope Urban II rallied people to form an army, and they took over Jerusalem, and then were driven back. And in 1212, if you can imagine this, parents sent their children off to fight in this war. Little did they know that their children would be sold into slavery. Uh, such a dark time for the church. And the papacy in this period was, was a travesty, to say the least. Gregory said he was the pope, and Benedict said he was, so they elected a third guy, Alexander, who became the pope. But the other pope said, nope, I'm still the pope. And the other guy said, no, nope, me too. So we had three popes on a rope, okay? <clears throat> it was a dark time for the church. But God wasn't finished. And the flame wasn't extinguished. The church was off track, but the gospel still flowed. Like a polluted stream going underground before emerging pristine and pure when it re-emerged in the surface. Good news sustained underground by people that we now refer to as mystics. The, their devotional writings still exist for us today. And we owe a debt of gratitude to people like Claire and Francis of Assisi and Thomas Akempis, and St. John of the Cross, and Teresa of Avila, and Bernard of Clairvaux. They kept the flame alive 
love for Jesus alive through a very dark period. A reminder for us that it's, it's really about Jesus. It's not about the business or the busyness of church life. And sometimes we also need to go underground like the mystics and just be with Jesus. John Wycliffe in England had this radical idea at the time that everybody ought to have and read God's inspired word. But church officials didn't agree. In fact, they ostracized and persecuted Wycliffe, and he became psychologically unglued. But today, a Bible translation ministry, Wycliffe Bible Translators, thrives. They, they completed 500 different language translations of the Bible, and they've made God's Word available to over 35 million people. So Wycliffe's radical idea, even though his persecution really drove him to, to madness, uh, his dream lives. And the Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well, friends. God raised up others like John Huss in Czechoslovakia. And he said that, Huss said that because Jesus died on the cross, everyone has access to the church. But in 1414, they drag him in and they tell him to stop this message and to recant. But he so believed the truths of scripture, he refused to recant. And so they seized all of the handwritten copies of his life's work and they placed him in the fire before him. And then they took John Huss and put him in the fire as well. But God was not done with his church. And the flame of John Huss's body became a torch that ignited other fires and spread the flame of the gospel even further and faster. And remember John Huss's name. We'll come back to it later. In Germany, in the early 1500s, the Reformation period begins, and Martin Luther is struck by lightning on his way to law school. And he cries out, God, if you'll spare me, I'll become a priest. And God did, and Luther goes off to seminary. In 1505, as he's raising the elements of communion during Mass, he is overcome with the sinfulness, his sinfulness before God. And his hands begin to tremor and shake. And those around him have to stabilize his arms so that he doesn't spill the communion. And what Luther didn't realize is that at that very moment, directly below the altar, someone had thrown some ashes. The ashes of John Huss, who 100 years earlier had been burned for his belief. That we are all sinners, and we're not saved by our own justification, but we're saved by our faith in Jesus. And Luther realized that he was not saved by good works, but by the grace of God, and that truth set him free. And maybe some of us need to be reminded of that freedom and grasp it today. Luther posted 95 protests on the church door in Wittenberg, and I wouldn't recommend that necessarily today, but his confrontation led to a reformation of the church, and and it got him into some big trouble, Uh, so much so that in 1521 they demanded he recant or be thrown out of the church and probably killed. And the church council that demanded he recant, but Luther was certain that so certain that we are saved by faith in Jesus and not by good works, he said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. I cannot, I will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. 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 
So Luther's friends kidnap him and hide him away for eight months. And Luther is so frustrated to be locked away that he can't share his beliefs with others. And, and once again, though, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. Because it was during this time that Luther translates the entire New Testament into German. And for the first time, the people of Germany have the word of God in their own language. And the Gutenberg Press is invented around that time, and Bibles go out everywhere. And once the word of God gets out, you, you can't contain it. It, it spreads like wildfire across Germany and then across Europe and it ignites a fire of reformation in the church and others like Zwingli and Calvin joined in to fan the flame. And the flame of God was stronger than ever. They couldn't contain it. In England, William Tyndale wanted to transla- translate the Bible into English. But church leaders so feared people reading the Bible from themselves and they prevented it. So he fled to Germany to work on the translation, and then smuggled Bibles back into England. And they catch Tyndale, and they stop him. They say, stop this or we're going to kill you. And Tyndale pointed at them and said, the day will come when every plowboy in England will know the Bible better than you. And so he continues to smuggle Bibles, and in 1536, they strangle him and burn his body. And again, the flames burn as the gospel spreads, fueled by those who gave their very lives for the truth. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In England, King Henry VIII asked the Pope for an annulment from his wife. But the Pope said, no, she's my sister. I'm not going to give you an annulment. And Henry VIII said, if you don't, I'm going to break with the Roman church and give myself an annulment. And so that's exactly what he did. So in 1527, what was once the Roman Catholic Church in England became the Church of England, or the Anglican Church, as we know it today. The Episcopal Church also in America. Henry VIII recruits Thomas Cranmer to lead his new church as the Archbishop of Canterbury. But Cranmer is so held captive by God's word, he teaches revolutionary truths from Scripture And they stage a mock trial and lock him away in confinement. Cranmer has a breakdown while he's locked away in solitary. And he signs documents recanting his views about Jesus and the Bible. And then from his prison cell, he sees his friends Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley as they are told to recant. And they refuse and stand strong. And as they are dragged into the fire, Latimer and Ridley shout to the crowd, This flame you are now lighting you will never be able to put out. And one year later, 1556, Cranmer is brought forward to publicly recant. And he says, you asked me to recant? Well, I do. I recant of my previous recantations. (laughs) And furthermore, you see this hand that signed those documents? I placed it into the fire myself. And he put his hand in the fire. And they they promptly threw the rest of him into the fire, along with 200 others that day. So friends, don't you take the good news of Jesus casually. Don't take it for granted. People died for it. The church has always been imperfect. But the good news of Jesus has been a sustaining stream flowing beneath the surface. In 1709, still in England, Samuel and Susanna Wesley lead a small Anglican congregation. And one of the parishioners gets upset and torches the parsonage. 
It's one of the reasons we often don't have parsonages today. And <laughs> that way the church members don't know where pastors live necessarily. <laughs> Neighbors, though, uh, rescue their young son, John, who was upstairs as the house collapses around him. And as one saved from the fire, John Wesley becomes a missionary to Native Americans in Georgia. And he fails miserably. See, Wesley has an intellectual faith, but not really a relationship with Jesus. And discouraged, he returns to England on a ship, and the ship is hit by a terrible storm. And as God arranged it, a group of German Christians were on board, followers of a man named John Huss. And Wesley says, how could you calmly praise God when it seemed like the ship was going to sink? We were terrified, and you're praising God. And one of the men says, John, preach faith until you have it. And when you have it, you most assuredly will preach it. And soon after, in 1738, at a small group Bible study on a street called Aldersgate, someone reads the preface of Luther's commentary to the book of Romans. And the gospel collides with John Wesley. And later he would write, I felt my heart strangely warmed in those moments. Wesley begins preaching five times a day on the streets with overwhelming response. And the fire of the Wesleyan revival is lit as he sends out 700 preachers in the idea of small group accountability. And Wesley preached over 40,000 times in his life. He rode more than 140,000 miles on horseback with over 500,000 converts by the time of his death, including a man named William Wilberforce a member of parliament who almost single-handedly ended slavery in the British Empire. I learned yesterday of, uh, in the early 1700s about the Moravian Pentecost that really was catalytic to start world missions movement that still is taking our country by storm with the gospel, our world by storm with the gospel today. And the flame of God leaps across the Atlantic and ignites on American soil. And in 1740s, the flame spreads to Massachusetts, and Jonathan Edwards preaches a powerful sermon, and probably not a sermon title you hear today, but it says it was titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he would preach with his head buried down in his notes, and then occasionally look up and look out to see people weeping as the power of Scripture touched their hearts. And more than 10,000 people, 10% of the 300,000 people in the colonies were estimated that they came to know Jesus during the first great awakening, in part through Jonathan Edwards' ministry. And Francis Asbury was the preeminent leader of American Methodism after the Revolutionary War. And during his career, Asbury traveled 300,000 miles. He delivered over 16,000 sermons and ordained 4,000 preachers. And Asbury's aggressive missionary style gave rise to Methodist circuit riders, unmarried clergy who traveled across various territories spreading uh, the good news of Jesus. Years later, the Second Great Awakening happens, 1790s to 1840s, and it fueled the spread of the gospel in America. And two major events are often given as the starting point of this Great Awakening, and one was in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And preacher Barton Stone organized a massive week-long revival with 10,000 people each day. And those who witnessed this event described it as 
the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit in years. And by 1801, Yale University is now 100 years old. And even though it started as a, a Christian institution, it's now a secular school. But Timothy Dwight preaches the gospel, and one-third of the student body uh, comes to Christ. Adoniram Judson, in 1813, was one of the first American missionaries who traveled to Burma. And Judson learned Burmese, and he preached in the local language, and eventually translated the entire Bible into Burmese. And according to his son's biography of him, Judson baptized more than 7,000 Burmese and tribal people. And he established 63 churches, directed 163 missionaries, and his work in Burma inspired the Protestant foreign mission movement. In 1816, the African Methodist Episcopal Church formed after years of unequal treatment with white Methodists. And it's the oldest existing African American denomination in the U.S. In Chicago, a man named Dwight Moody was a 19th century Protestant revivalist whose popularity led to both Moody Church, Moody Radio, and Moody Bible Institute. And Moody said at the time, I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel, but God has given me a lifeboat and said to me, Moody, save all you can. This church you might have heard of named Crossroads Church and Ministry began as a small group meeting in homes in 1991. And that small group grew into a church of hundreds of people who are devoted to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, including his work of justice and mercy. Friends, yeah. So much more could be said about the work of God through the history of the church. It began as a dream in the heart of God to build a church to restore people to himself. That was always his dream since the fall. And he's not finished yet. He's still building his church. And the church of God will prevail. He started with his own son who called a small group which grew to 120. And then exploded on Pentecost. And now there are over 3,000. Stephen was stoned and there were about 20,000 Christians estimated worldwide. And by 38 AD, the church was scattered. And about a dozen people made it to Antioch, the third largest city in the world. It's about a half million people. A dozen believers. Twelve small lights. What difference can they make, right? But by the close of the New Testament period, about 100 AD... 20% of that 1 million people had given their hearts and lives to Jesus. 100,000 people in Antioch. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And by the year 1000, there were 50 million Christ followers. And by the year 1900, 560 million. And today, with almost 8 billion people on planet Earth, roughly... Two, two and a half million peop- billion people identify with the cause of Christ more than any other faith group on the planet. The flame is alive and growing, and the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. In Africa, an estimated 20,000 people come to know Jesus Christ every day. In 1900, only 3% of Africans were Jesus followers. But by 1990, over 40% of the population knew him. And today, over half the population of Africa claims Jesus Christ as Lord. It was the church, friends, in South Africa, which prayed and suffered and struggled so that apartheid would end and a new freedom would come to that land. In Korea, in 1900, there was not one church. Now there are over 4,000 churches in Seoul alone, 
30% of South Korea has come to know Jesus. And from 1985, the number of believers in, in South Korea exploded from 6 million people to 14.5 million people today. Friends, we are part of something way bigger than ourselves. It is a cosmic eternal plan, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And Christianity in Asia today is growing at twice the rate of the population. A friend of mine leads a ministry in India, and they're seeing over 100,000 people come to Christ every year while facing, facing the most intense persecution you can imagine. In, in Iran, famous for persecuting Christians through the years, more people have come to Jesus since 1980 than in the previous 1,000 years combined. In Albania in 1967, a million-watt radio station broadcast that Albania is officially an atheistic country. And today, that very same station broadcasts every night for over two hours the gospel of Jesus, uh, covering a massive amount of the, gro- the globe. And in Britain today, the church has faded, and churches can't, be, can't even buy TV time. But this radio station in Albania that was dedicated to atheism now blankets all of Britain with the good news of Jesus. God finds a way, and the flame will not be snuffed out. In Belarus, a missile silo was dismantled, and they found a letter inside when they tore it down. And it said, if you ever dismantle this silo, please use these bricks for what they were meant for. They were brought here to build a church, but were intercepted by Stalin, and he built a missile silo. And Christians found that letter and got a hold of those bricks. And now the 2,000-seat sanctuary of Cobro Baptist Church was built out of the very same bricks. What the enemy has taken, God is bringing back. Even as the church's influence has faded in Western Europe and North America, it is encouraging to me that the church in South America, Africa, and Asia is stronger than it's ever been. And now the strength of the big C church is in the global south. Only two of the top ten countries in terms of Christianity are in North America and Western Europe, uh, long believed to be the center of Christianity. Instead, three are now in Africa, Two are from Central and South America, two are from Asia, and one is in Eastern Europe. That's U.S., Brazil, Mexico, Russia, Philippines, Nigeria, Democratic Republic of Congo, China, Ethiopia, and Germany. Those are the top countries in terms of Christianity right now. God can even use a pandemic to encourage every church to create a digital version of their gatherings to catalyze the spread of the gospel, utilizing the streaming paradigm that has taken over the world. What the enemy meant for evil, God is using for good. Every 24-hour period, an estimated 78,000 people come to know Jesus. Every week in the world, 1,600 new churches are formed, each one carrying the flame to even more people. And since we began our time together this morning, 3,250 people around the world have heard the call from Jesus and said, yes, I will follow. Friends... I've got to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know, gates are not offensive, are they? Gates are defensive. They keep people out. So the church is going to plow through the gates. That's what Jesus is telling us when he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes, the church has always been imperfect, and it's led by imperfect people. But they were committed to the way of Jesus, 
and they gave their lives for it. Generations of Christ followers striving to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth, in America, in Marshall, as it is in heaven. And when I hear how God has moved in the lives of people in history, it makes me realize that the torch of the gospel is now in my hands and it's in your hands. He is doing his work through us. How exciting. How terrifying. So Crossroads Church, let's continue to write the story of the church established by Jesus to give us a place to belong and a place, a way to live out Jesus' way together. Let's be people impassioned by the love of God and the invitation of Jesus and the, the desire to bring God's kingdom to earth a little more every day where love and freedom and justice and mercy prevail. And in spite of the fact that sometimes our understanding of how to live all, live all this out is off kilter, let's give our very lives to keep the church alive in fresh ways that bring hope to a hurting world. Let's stand strong for Jesus. Stand with Stephen who was stoned for believing. Stand with John Huss who was burned at the stake and would not blend into the crowd. Stand with Martin Luther because faith in Jesus is enough. Stand with John Wesley with a real relationship with Christ. Stand with the Lowridges and the leaders at Crossroads that have envisioned and led this church forward to transform this region and the world with the gospel. Stand with me and I will stand with you together with Christ, no matter the cost, and Christ's church will prevail. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in us and through us. Amen. Thank you, friends. We stand with you, Rob, and believe every every bit of what you just said, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen, amen, amen. amen. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, um, and you know, it's a, it's a humbling thing for Crossroads Church to stand up with all those other names, isn't it? Take a breath, everybody. You were just included in a flame that's being carried, and it is no small thing to sing Hosanna to God, the God who saves, the God who heals, the God who delivers, the God who will let us see God, the one who created us and made us for God's own purpose on the earth that we have seen glimpses of, but not, we ain't seen nothing yet, God. We know it. We haven't seen anything, but can we see you, please? Would you let us see you leading and guiding and taking us through? Would you let us see you in the flames and in the mountains and in the ashes and in the silos and in the bricks and in the injustice and in the mercy? Would you let us see you? We want to see the King. Would you just lift your head to heaven and tell God what's true in your heart? 
because God sees you as God's own plan on the earth. And I want to see what you see, God. I want to see what you see, God. I want to see what you see. Yes. I want to see us the way you see us, yes. God. Will 
and the flame at crossroads. Thanks. Thanks for people who are willing to carry the torch. Thanks, God, that you will open the doors. You'll open the gates because we're going through. We're going through. We're going through. Going through. We won't stop. And we won't stop, God, until the last breath is in us. And so here we are, God, crossroads people, and anybody who wants to hold their hands open to God or hold their hands up to God and just say, here I am, here I am, God. You know me. You know what I've got. You know what I don't got. You know everything I am. You know everything I'm not. And God, you have chosen me. Will you just say that out loud? You have chosen me. You have chosen me. Can you say it? I want to hear you. You have chosen me. Would you say the spirit of the Lord is upon me? Yes, yes it is. I, oh my gosh, yes it is. You are a temple for God's own spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Say it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because God has anointed me. Come on, say it. God has anointed me. In your blue collar world, at the kitchen sink and in the plow and in the field, right? In the hospital, Kobe, right? Seth, in the classroom this year, yes, amen, right? In the doctor's office, in the hospital, wherever you are, I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And if we will remember and bring that in as a greater truth than anything we face, amen? Boys and Girls Clubs of America, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, Matthew. Amanda in the classroom, Vaughn at the ice cream store, Amy with your flowers. I'm just telling you, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, Samuel, as you write your final papers. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. And when we realize that, I don't know how you, I mean, you cried through your whole sermon. I'm shaking through my whole whatever I'm doing right now. Hosanna, our God saves. Our God saves, and if we are brave enough to pray, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love. Show me. Just say it. Show me, God. And then be brave. Break my heart. Come on. Go ahead. Amen. In 
classroom. 